When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Situation Room. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Situation Room. I'm here with my co-host, Gabe Ferguson. You guys can check us out. Um, we're both on Twitter. I'm at Raven Sit Room. He's at Gabe Fergie. And um, we're coming live to you uh, because the Ravens apparently had this draft thing, uh, Gabe. And uh, they had a lot of picks, like, what, 10, 11, 11 picks total, right? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean... I- the Ravens went into the draft with 11 picks. They came out of the draft with 11 picks. They weren't the same 11 picks that they went in with, so that's a little interesting. We had a, a big trade, um, Marquise Brown. Not something I think that we were expecting necessarily, but it wasn't crazy considering some of the chatter we'd heard. Um, so that, that I think, is you know probably the biggest shocker of the whole draft is you know trading Marquise Brown, getting a first-round pick in return, essentially, which is... You know, pretty good value for that um and then you know using that pick and and being able to kind of just go with the flow and, and you know making some interesting selections along the way i think the ravens got universally lauded for you know hitting on on value throughout the draft um letting players fall to them not reaching for specific positions not reaching for need um but i think there's you know some positives and negatives when you do that sometimes you you don't necessarily get that you know, position that you needed when you trade away your wide receiver. So it's interesting. I think we'll, you know, we'll discuss it a little bit more as we go into these different players. But overall, I, th- I think it was it was a good use of the draft picks. I'll put it that way. Well, you know, I think I think value is a really interesting lens to have this discussion. Um, and I, you know, as we talk about each one of these guys individually, I think that could be part of it. Obviously, at the top end of this draft, you're talking about taking positions that. Other teams have either devalued in terms of what they think is would be like classified as a premium position or even, you know, devalued by the Ravens historically. You know, center is a position that the Ravens have never taken a first round pick on um, is a position that they haven't even really taken a high round pick on. The last time I can remember the Ravens taking a highly or higher drafted um, center was Jason Brown in the third round. And that turned out to be a, a colossal failure. Um, hopefully that's not what we end up seeing. Well, maybe not a colossal failure, but it was certainly a failure and he never became the player um, that it, that they thought he could be. And so I think it's it'll be interesting to take a look at, you know, are the Ravens able to extract the surplus value from positions that might not be considered premium? And then whether or not those positions actually are or aren't considered premium. Because uh, I think, you know, I think especially, in, and we might as well just get right into Kyle Hamilton in his first pick in the draft where the Ravens, stood pat at 14 rushed to the podium yeah. i mean I, I was still and if anybody was watching us um you know on the live draft feed with ken and um, coach and um jason from huddle it up films you know we were we were stunned at how quick the ravens made that pick at 14 they didn't even there was no consideration on their part to even look to try and trade that pick they made it immediately um to me that says that one the ravens love kyle hamilton but two, that the Ravens might value safety more than the rest of the league looks at the value of a safety. We're seeing a lot more split too high. We're seeing a lot more needs where you need two guys that can do both things, both inside and outside the box. Um, so, you know, do you think that do you think the league undervalued safety, or do you think it was just all tied up in that forty time for Kyle Hamilton? So, there's a few things I want to hit on here, but let's, let's start with the value of the safety position because I do think that the Ravens might. Um, value that position differently, or, or they might just value the player differently. Because, I mean, if you if you look at how a lot of 
teams, or maybe not, I shouldn't say teams, how a lot of like analysts evaluated Kyle Hamilton going into this draft cycle. He was considered by some to be the best player in the draft, um, by many to be a top five player. And then, you know, he kind of slowly started falling away and away and away as these so-called valuable positions moved up the draft board. So, and we saw that happen in this draft. The positions that got taken early, um, and this was a draft where we, we didn't have any good quarterbacks. So it was offensive tackle, it was cornerback, and it was edge player. Those were the ones that got just hammered. And they were, in my opinion, overdrafted at the sake of, you know, getting those premier positions. So you have a player like Kyle Hamilton, who is like a unique, like rare, like player at, at this position. And yes, he plays safety, but he does a lot more than just play safety. He plays in the box. He plays deep. He plays post. He plays too high. Um, he'll play your robber. He can play slot. He can rush off the edge. He's a great run defender. So this is a player who is like the epitome of what a uh, like a defensive like versatile defensive player is in today's NFL. Um, you know, I think the closest comp that we've seen to him is probably Derwin James, who came out you know several years ago. I think a lot of Ravens fans were upset when they didn't pull the trigger on him. So. I'm not sure what that says about how the Ravens value the position, but I th- and that's why I said maybe it's the player, because I think you know Kyle Hamilton maybe not as quite as athletic as James is, but he has a lot more instinctiveness I think in the way he plays and the way he processes. He kind of sees the game like a split second ahead, kind of like you know Ed Reed. Like I, I think he has that you know natural ability to just like see the plays developing. So that's a unique skill that he has. Um, and then he also just is a really good cover player. Um, maybe not like man against like an elite wide receiver, but just in, in what a safety is asked to do. He has great range. And then and then there's in- instincts like really come into play. So I think the Ravens ran to the podium to draft Kyle Hamilton because they had him as a top five player in this class. And they didn't think that they had a chance of getting him. And then when he started slipping down the draft board because these other teams are you know hitting on these high value positions, the Ravens essentially were gift wrapped him. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to disagree about where, you know, the type of player that he is. I mean, he's a guy that can do a lot of different things and there's a lot of value in that in the NFL. It's just very interesting that the rest of the league, you know, even the trade up in that draft past the Ravens ended up not being for Kyle Hamilton. It ended up being for Jordan Davis. Now, some of that was potentially smoke screening by the Ravens kind of, sorting that out. But, um, you know, I think it's going to be really interesting to see whether or not Kyle Hamilton ends up being that value pick and being that guy that, that brings that value in that kind of way, or whether he ends up just being another guy. Um, and you know what, the Ravens have been really successful with these top 14 picks. I mean, I think of their last like six top 14 picks, every single one of them has gone to the pro bowl. Um, so I think there's some anticipation that the Ravens should have, you know, their ability to identify the top end of where these guys are in talent. And I think that internally they know where their rankings have, have been historically. So they know whether or not they are, they're getting these guys right, you know, in some regard or another, um, you know, I think that they could trust themselves on these picks too. Yeah. And I, I don't think that the Ravens would have selected Jordan Davis. I think Eric DaCosta alluded that they wouldn't have taken him, that they wanted um, Hamilton and that, that they did like Davis, but they had Hamilton rated uh, ahead of, of Davis. So I think, you know, Philly moving up, taking Davis, that's fine. I, I don't think that was necessarily something that they had to do. But, you know, if they want to, you know, trade up a couple spots and do that, good for them. But, you know, Davis also plays a devalued position. Um, you know, defensive tackle is not like the same type of impact player that like, you know, someone like, I don't know, a Kayvon Thibodeau would have been on the edge. You know, if, if Thibodeau was sitting there at 13 and, he, you know, he was falling down the draft and, and Philadelphia moves up to grab him, then I'm upset. I'm like, okay, Ravens, you really had a chance to get like the elite edge guy in this class and you, you passed on it. So I'm okay with them missing out on Davis. Um, you know, we'll, we'll get to some of the later picks, but I think they got another defensive tackle. He's just almost as good um, in the third round. So, and, and that's part of, you know, allowing the, the board come to you. So you know, I think, you know, Kyle Hamilton is my favorite pick in this draft. I think, I think he's a phenomenal talent. He's someone that, I never thought the Ravens would have a chance at, um, you know, his impact immediately is going to be interesting to see. Um, the Ravens also just signed Marcus Williams to a pretty lucrative contract. So I think that does say, you know, they do actually think the safety is an important position. Um, 
you know, a new defensive coordinator, like you mentioned, they might be playing a little bit more like two high safety looks. Um, but it also gives you a lot of versatility and you have Chuck Clark still, who's a, who's a good safety. And if he's your third safety, you can do a lot of things in coverage, you know, mixing things up on the back end with those three guys. So I'm really excited to see Hamilton on the field. I think he's going to be an impactful player from day one. And, you know, I think that's what you want to get in your first round pick, especially your first first round pick. You want that immediate impact. And I think that's going to happen for sure. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. There are a lot of options that Mike McDonald's going to have in front of him and, and Hamilton's going to open up. I, they're going to use him as a Swiss Army knife. It's going to be really great to see. Um, I'm excited to see how they try and, you know, whether or not they try and hide him and how they deploy him a little bit. Um, in the preseason um, or whether they just cut him loose and they start to use him in this role because they need to find out whether or not he's able to do it. So it's going to be, it's definitely going to be interesting to watch. Yeah. So, so, so the next pick that I was going to say, like we had two first round picks. That wasn't something that we were expecting. So the Marquise Brown trade, it, it happened. I think we were all surprised by it. And then we get a player that, you know, it's a similar thing that we talked about. Um, not, the most valuable position we drafted a center he's not really guard flexible he's a little undersized for the position um so you know he's he's just gonna be a center um this is a little bit more of a questionable decision in my opinion um i thought that there were other players on the board who might have actually been a better choice but i think you have someone who's going to come in and be a day one starter and he's going to make the line better so from that sense, I think it, it, it actually makes sense. Um, I'm just not so convinced that you can't get a player who's pretty good, like 90% of as good later on in the draft. I think that's my issue with the center being drafted that early. Yeah. You know, I, I th- this one is probably the hot button issue of the draft. Cause I know that there was definitely some fans that were super pro Linderbaum to begin with. And some that were very anti Linderbaum that they thought that where, even if his name drifted into the early second, that he wasn't going to be, again, using that term, that right value for where it all shook out. And so in that sense, it's really interesting. You know, if he bulks up a little bit, is that going to take some away from some of his ability to, you know, be as flexible and to be as aggressive in terms of where he is um, in the draft? And I think that all those are kind of really interesting questions. I think this idea that you can find a center that would be 90% as good as Tyler Linderbaum is overstating it a lot. If you look at what he did in college and where, and it's not as though he played at university of Delaware, no knock on Joe Flacco or any of the D one a schools, right? Like just this idea that it's not like he was playing against subpar competition. It's not like he was playing against small guys. It's not like he was under, wasn't undersized during any of these times. And he was elite during that time in college. So this idea that like you can find a guy that could be 90% of the upside of what Tyler Linderbaum is, I don't necessarily agree with that. Now, do you, can you find a guy that could be 90% of a above average center in the fourth, fifth, sixth round of the draft? Yes. Is the expectation that Tyler Linderbaum is going to be a lot more than that? It better darn well be because you're not trading Marquise Brown, who is a highly underrated wide receiver in his own right. Another undersized guy that does a lot of things a little bit differently than you might expect. Um, and I'm okay with them trading away Marquise Brown, but he brought value to this team. He did a lot of things for this offense. Even though he wasn't a run blocker, there were things that he did that made it work. I think that there's an expectation that Linderbaum is going to be a borderline Pro Bowl player as a rookie and have all pro upside and be the top one to three centers in the league within two years of him being drafted. And if that's if that's the expectation and the Ravens have good cause to, to see that, then I can understand I think his pick meets the value. I think whereas Kyle Hamilton's pick exceeds the value, I think Tyler Linderbaum is capped in the sense that he can only be as great as the value that he brings from where he was drafted. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I, I do like Linderbaum. Like, I think he, he's a good player. I, I definitely had him graded as the best center in this class by a considerable margin. Um, I think he's, like I said, going to be a plug-and-play player for the Ravens. You know, last year we saw the Chiefs, you know, draft creed humphrey they drafted him in the second round but you know he was still someone who came in he was 
pretty highly regarded. And I think it was a surprise they actually lasted that point. And he was a star for them, like right away. He was probably the best center in the league. If you can get that kind of return on Linderbaum coming in and being like a top, like you said, top three center, making an impact on the Ravens in terms of their ability to pass protect, in terms of their ability to maybe be a little bit more versatile in their run game. You know, they've been this gap power scheme running team for the past like two and a half years. Um, and that may not be Linderbaum's like best type of play, but Greg Roman is a really good like run schemer. He can like come up with other schemes than what he's been doing. Like you can use him creatively. You can use the athleticism that he has and get him like pulling on the move. You can do a little bit more like wide zone. I think that will actually work out really well um, with the Ravens offense just to keep teams off balance. Because I think, and, and not to take this into a completely different um, dimension here, but one of the things that the Ravens offense, I think has where they've stagnated is that they have lost that diversity. Um, some of w- what they had back in 2019 and, and kind of what they were doing um, with, with different types of looks in the run game, you know, different personnel packages. And I think, you know, as we continue to talk about this draft class, I think we might see the Ravens getting back to that diverse skill sets that they have both on the offensive line and in their, you know, their weapons at, you know, receiver and even at running back. So I, I think it's going to be um, a good change for the Ravens. And, you know, I, I do think it's going to be a positive thing. Um, the, the only negative I would say is there's a chance to get a guy like Jermaine Johnson there. That, that, that to me is the, is the thing that I'm like, you had Jermaine Johnson, you had George Carlaftis, both of those guys were on the board and you passed on them in order to take the center, um, which you know, we talked about it. I think it can, it can work out well. It can be a positive in the end, but I'm I'm not sure if that's a trade off that I would have done if I was making the choice. But you know, we'll see we'll see how it works out. They they ended up getting a guy they like um, with David Ojabo, which we can go ahead and talk about. Well, and, and this will be my reminder to you and to every other Ravens fan that is a little sour on Linderbaum when he connects at the second level on a block and Lamar runs it in for a touchdown. <laughs> I'm going to remind all of you when that happens, and it's going to happen at least three times this year. Like Linderbaum is going to be a sec. They're going to find a way to let him be the second level blocker. He's going to take guys out and Lamar's going to take it to the house behind him. There were so many times over the last couple of years where the interior guys could not get to the second level, not make those blocks. And the big runs for Lamar went away because of that. Like when those things, when they come back, those second level blocks, the cutbacks that are going to come in for these running backs, it's, it is. The athleticism that he's going to bring in that sense, I think, is going to be exceptionally significant, specifically for Lamar Jackson and J.K. Dobbins. Yeah, yeah. So well, I, I agree with you. Um, you know, I was actually a proponent of taking a drafting a guard at 14 if we needed to. If the if the board fell the same way, I was like, we could we could draft Zion Johnson, he, athletic, really good run run blocker. I, th- I thought he would have been a great fit plug and play and it, that improves your running game. I think Linderbaum does the same. Like, I mean, it's, I like Patrick McCarry. I thought he would have been a good option to center, but he's not that great of a run blocker. You know, Linderbaum has the potential to be an elite run blocker. I think that is something that is really going to get that this run game, you know, back to where it was, back to when the Ravens offense was at its best was when you could be, you know, dominating teams up front. And that's something that we haven't seen as much in the past two years. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I said this on a podcast with Ken um, that we recorded last night. I think the biggest winner of this draft was Lamar Jackson. And I think it specifically because of the offensive line is going to be like the Ravens clearly saw that that was the area where they needed to improve. And so whether this pick is value or not, it says to me they wanted to go out and get a guy that they thought would always be between Lamar Jackson and the guy rushing from the middle of the field. Um, and so they're going to get that in Linderbaum and, and we'll find out how it's going to pay off. Um but David Ajabo is a guy that you just mentioned. And I think, I, I mean, this is, this might be the most interesting pick of the draft, actually, to me, right? Because on a couple levels, one is that guys get hurt, right? This is, they get hurt working out. Look at Juwan James. That's how he got hurt, right? Like they get work, they get hurt playing in games like Marlon Humphrey. They get hurt in practice like Gus Edwards. They get hurt in preseason games like J.K. Dobbins. Like that, that is, these are, and I could pick players from other teams that fit into all those individual scenarios. Guys get hurt, right? So I, I think what's really interesting about Ajabo is, one, his value, if he had not gotten hurt, was exceptional. Like a guy that was, you know, if you think Trayvon Walker going all the way to number one was too much, Ajabo was getting as much upside before the injury 
in how he was being evaluated. And he had become a guy that people were talking about. Oh, well, it seemed like he might be around in the 20 range to like, this is kind of the guy that has the upside that really should be going in like close to the top 10 type range, right? Um, and so by virtue of the Ravens being able to get him with a 45th pick when guys just get hurt and these kind of things happen. I mean, this this injury could have been on the first, this, this injury could have been during rookie minicamp, right? Instead of during his pro day. There was, there was I mean, he was running a, he was running a, a pass defense drill where he was backpedaling when he did this, right? Like this is, you know, pretty, pretty bum luck. So it fits right in with the Ravens. <laughs> <laughs> there. 12-month recent injury history. Hopefully that this helps get out of the way. But this is a guy with massive, massive upside that, in theory, who is talking about himself on Twitter, potentially trying to be back for the start of the regular season. Yeah, that would be crazy if that happens. Um, and, and then you then it's really a home run pick. You know, assuming that he's like 90, 95% of, of what we saw him as a college player because his game really was predicated around his ability to be explosive off the edge and be able to, to bend um, and get around that um, defense or offensive tackle. Like he's, his game was predicated on explosiveness and speed. Um, you rupture your Achilles. Do you have that same speed when you come back? Maybe you do. I mean, modern day medicine is, is pretty, pretty impressive. Like there's a lot of really good, you know, recovery programs. There's excellent doctors out there. Like they're, they're allowing players to get back faster and stronger than they ever have in the past. So I think there's a good chance that, you know, he will be that same player. I'm not sure if he will be in the first year. I think it does take a little bit longer to kind of get back, but if he can come in and, you know, be like a situational pass rusher for you, um, even like halfway through the season, I think that is a win in terms of what you get from this, from this player. Um, especially when you get him at that point in the draft, um, and then you have like two guys, two young, like really impressive pass rushers off the edge between him and Owe, who, by the way, of course, played in high school together. Like that's a cool story, right? And then also you have a job connection with Mike McDonald. It was he was college defensive coordinator last year, so he knows that he knows the coordinator, he knows the system. The coordinator knows him. Um, I think it's a great fit from all those reasons. Um, the question is, you know, wh- when can he get on the field? And, th- and that's the biggest thing, especially when it really is a position where the Ravens don't have a ton of depth. So it's going to be interesting to see how the Ravens kind of maneuver around, you know, this probably missing some, I, I mean, there's a chance he comes back and plays week one. I find that extremely low. He most likely starts a season on the pup. Um, so how do you go about, you know, getting those snaps at outside linebacker? And it's, it's probably going to have to come from guys who are, you know, a little bit further down the depth chart. So we'll, we can talk at the end, I think, about maybe some gaps that we still see on the roster and, and some ways that we can go about, you know, attacking those things. But I think, you know, if you can get the upside out of him and, and if you can get him, especially in like 2023 and 2024, to be like that high-end pass rusher, then getting him in the second round is a huge win for the Ravens. And if you, you know, my thing about the whole, you know, if you want to talk about value and you want to talk about who is on the board, a lot of the edge guys were at this point mostly gone. I think, you know, Sam Williams, who a lot of people didn't love and, and had some character questions to kind of go with him, right? Uh, Drake Jackson, I think, went after him. Um, Nick Bonito. But even those guys all went in like the late 50s and 60s. Um, so, you know, those were guys that if the Ravens felt like, you know, felt really strongly about, they, they were guys that they could have taken yeah. in the spot or guys that they could have traded back and still had a crack at. Um, I, I think the Ravens are potentially are a little less worried about outside linebacker than the rest of, you know, the, the fans are. But it's also been a very, it's, it's been a very interesting staple of these Eric DaCosta teams that every year they go in with a position that, there are some questions around and it's like, look, these are the guys that we have. <laughs> we hope they're going to get the job done. If they don't, we'll figure it out. You know, obviously inside linebacker is an easier place to compensate for that than outside linebacker. Right. And particularly edge rusher in particular. So, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see whether or not that plays out. It's going to be interesting to see if they need that value, but you know, if Bowser's able to come back and Bowser's injury was, you know, right at the end of the regular season. So he's got almost two and a half months of recovery on in front of a Jabo. So if you think, uh, you know, not you, but if somebody were to think that a Jabo could be back by November 1st, realistically, you're talking about Bowser being ready very close to the yeah. beginning of the season. You've got Dalen Hayes, you know, th- there may be, they've got, and you've got Justin Houston on the tender now. 
Um, it may not be as dire as some people thought it was. And then Ajabo just explodes in terms of value uh, uh, for what he might bring later in the year. And then in years two, three, and four of his, you know, after yeah. big draft. And we've been kind of trained to have this requirement for multiple, like, good outside linebackers on the Ravens. And that's something that they've had for the past, you know, probably two or three years. It's, it's been kind of like a, a really deep position for the Ravens. Um, and even though like the production hasn't always been there, they've had like a strong rotation. Um, and if you look at like other teams around the NFL, most teams don't have three good outside linebackers or three good defensive ends. They have like one good defensive end, maybe two, if like you're lucky. So, I mean, Owe, I think is, is a good, good, player for the Ravens. He, he had a great rookie year. He's going to get better. Um, I think he's someone that they're going to lean on a lot. Um, I also had a podcast with Ken recently. Um, we talked about the outside linebacker position. I think I'm expecting Owe to take a leap. I'm expecting him to be someone who probably will hit those like high percentage of snaps, 75, 80% on the field. Um, and he can play both sides. He can play rush. He can play Sam. Um, and, and then, you know, they'll figure out the rest. You know, you have Hayes coming off an injury. Like you, you mentioned Houston, he's still someone who is potentially likely going to be on the roster. Um, Jalen Ferguson, he can, you know, be someone who's still there for his last um, season of his rookie deal. So I think there are some options there. I mean, outside of just Bowser coming back and hoping that he's healthy. And even outside of position and all that, I, I think... You know, and this was a deeper draft than a normal draft. So this may be slightly different in that regard. But there's not a lot of expectation that the guy picked at 45 overall and later, right? Really, that like they're going to be an immediate impact, come in, bang, bang, like be a starter kind of player, right? Like I think that those those expectations have been elevated somewhat because of Ajabo's kind of like broader history of being labeled as potentially being, you know, an early first round pick type value. Um, but even the Ravens historically out of the second round, I mean, Dobbins, you know, obviously recently being a second round guy that they were really successful with, but historically have just not extracted a lot of value from the second round. Like it took Bowser a long time to develop, but Correa, Max Williams, Timmy Jernigan, like Arthur Brown, I'm <laughs> cheating because I'm looking up football reference, but like Courtney Upshaw. You got to go all the way back to Kalechi Assembly before you see another, like, and then Torrey Smith. So in back-to-back kind of second rounds. Um, but then even before that, Sergio Kindle, Paul Kruger was not an impact guy early in his yeah. career either. So it's just like, you've got to go, like, you're not going to, this expectation that your second round pick is going to come in and immediately pay dividends. Um, you know, I also think is a little high-minded, maybe, if you call it, from any analyst or fan that might have that expectation. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. And um, I, I was never expecting a Jabo, even if you, if he was 100% healthy and he comes in as a, as a, like a first round pick, taking at 14. Um, I wasn't expecting him to be someone who's going to be a, a three down player for you. He, he's raw as a run defender, to be honest. And he's someone who really was, was just going to be a, a pass rush specialist. I think that's going to be his role regardless of the, probably for the first couple of years he's in the league because he needs to get stronger at the point of attack in terms of his, his ability to defend the run. And you know, that's okay if he can get you like, you know, eight sacks as a pass rush specialist. I think he has that in him to do that, assuming he comes back, you know, healthy for a full season. So I'm still, you know, I think the upside is definitely there. It is a little bit of a risky pick because there's a chance that he just, you know, he never kind of pans out. You know, you never know what the guy's coming off that type of injury. But, um, you know, there's a risk for any player you draft. So that's always going to be baked into it no matter what. Well, and, you know, pass rush doesn't just have to come from outside linebacker. And so we can talk about the Ravens next pick as a spot where, I mean, Ravens fans have been begging for pressure up the middle in the pocket for, you know, basically since Haloti Nata was able to do it effectively. I mean, I think it's been some time since we've seen a guy consistently be able to bring that heat and pressure from the interior of the defensive line. Um, And I'm probably forgetting some guys that have have done it. Like Willie Henry had like a nice little run there. Um, before before he kind of seemed to lose it a little bit. And um, you know, I'm sure there have been some other guys that have had some of that interior pressure. But Travis Jones is a guy that there was buzz that he was going to be an early second round pick or, you know, potentially even be the kind of guy that like, you know, like Barmore when he got taken by Tampa was a guy that like people like the interior pressure upside of and someone was going to snag him late because of that and so the idea that he got all the way into the third round and then he got to the ravens with the 76th pick um 
you know, he was a guy you and I were talking when we were at the draft in the second round that you said you wouldn't have been upset with if the Ravens would have taken him 45. Um, So they got him 31 picks later. You've got to be pretty happy about that. Oh, absolutely. I think, um, you know, I say Kyle Hamilton, I thought was my favorite pick. Travis Jones is not far behind him. Um, I I had him as my 31st best player in his class. Um, For me, he would have been a great pick at 45. So if you flip those picks and you take Travis Jones at 45 and then a job at 76, I think that's still good value. So, you know, any way you cut it, that, that's like a fantastic draft. I think getting those guys, I don't know how he la- lasted till 76. Um, you know, just real quick, the reason why I had him rated so highly, he came from a smaller school. UConn was not like the, you know, is not like a huge, you know, like NFL factory. Um, but athletically, he is almost as impressive as the guy the Ravens were, you know, linked to in, in Jordan Davis. And he went one pick before the Ravens at pick 13 in the first round. This guy had, he's, he's six foot four, like 330 pounds. He ran a sub 540. He ran a 4940, which is insane for someone his size. You look at him on film and he's a better pass rusher than Jordan Davis is. He's more developed. He can actually provide that interior pass rush, like you mentioned. He's also a really good run defender. Like this is a player who's going to be an impact player, I think, from the Ravens from day one. They're going to get him into this rotation with Matt Abike. They'll use him up front. Campbell, you brought in Michael Pierce. You can kind of move those guys around the defensive front. You might even see a little bit more Calais Campbell playing like true edge snaps now. That's something that he's done in the past. If the Ravens are short at outside linebacker and they want to be a little bigger up front, they can put Campbell out there on the edge and kind of have three bigger bodies and have, you know, Owe on the other side of him. I think that's something that could actually be um, an interesting look for them up front. And I wouldn't be surprised if they do it a little bit with McDonald. So um, I'm really excited about Jones. I think he's going to be a phenomenal player for the Ravens. Um, you know, I saw somebody call him um, arbitrage Jordan Davis in the in the draft. Like, this is the guy who's like, you know, you, we talked about the guy who's 90% of Tyler Linderbaum you can get later on. I think this is the guy that's like 90, 95% of Jordan Davis, and you get him two, two rounds later. I think it's phenomenal. I think he's going to be um, a great player, and, and I'm so happy that he's, he's a Raven because he totally fits everything they want to do. Yeah, it's it's hard to not be excited about the Ravens adding some defensive interior defensive line talent. There was an area where they needed to get younger. This was a position that I was a little bit worried about as we were headed into the offseason, but the addition of Jones and the addition of Michael Pierce really, really took the and then bringing back Calais Campbell really solidified. I mean, that's three starters right there. Like that could be some team starting three, four um, defensive line. So it's exciting to see the Ravens kind of make a commitment and say this is a spot that, that we've got we've to bring in and, and see some improvement. And so he'll be a guy to definitely keep an eye on. I think one of the big things that we've heard is that he played a lot of snaps for UConn. And so in, in a rotational situation where they're asking him to rush the passer, um, you know, and especially if you can put like him and Matabike out there on the field together and ask, let them both kind of get after it from a pass rush perspective, is that going to be – a really medicine combo from those two guys in those situations. I'm, I'm excited to see what that's going to turn out to be. Yeah. I think this might be, you know, on paper, one of the better defensive units or defensive line units that the Ravens have had in recent memory, um, just in terms of the talent. Um, I, I think Pierce is an upgrade over Brandon Williams, to be honest. Um, Campbell is still, I think a very good player. You know, he probably is going to be a little bit more on a snap count um, than he has been in the past couple of seasons. Um, but you know, with with, with Matabike, with you know, with Jones, and then you, if Derek Wolf can give you anything, like um, he he's still a very good run defender. I think. I mean, he might not be on the team. We'll see what happens with him. But um, there's definitely a lot of upside there. And, and you know, Broderick Washington. You know, he played some good snaps for the Ravens last year. I think he's someone who can still be part of that rotation. I don't want to completely leave him out. So you know, it's hard to find many teams with that kind of depth and of talent all, along their defensive front. So even though you know they might not have the awesome like outside linebacker depth that the Ravens have had the past couple of years. I think the defensive line talent kind of makes up for that. And the Ravens are always are really good at finding defensive linemen. I mean, that, that would be the one area where in a couple of years, if the Ravens turned up a couple interior like studs, you know, all of Michael, Michael Pierce and, and, you know, Brandon Williams and over time, you know, Travis Jones gets that, that extra star of like the Ravens really do know what they're doing when it comes to defensive linemen, both in, in drafting and development. So um, 
you know, one of the areas where I think we were all worried about the Ravens heading into the draft was like, what, what is it going to be like on at offensive tackle, right? We all have PTSD for what happened with Ronnie Stanley and Orlando Brown last year. We had into, you know, coming off of, you know, and, and we're two seasons away from that, but coming off of 2019 when the Ravens really built a lot of their success around those two guys, right? Um, having to basically play two seasons later without either of them um, really showed up on film. Uh, there were some questions as to whether the Ravens had enough depth. A lot of folks, you know, pundits included, love the Morgan Moses edition. Um, the Juwan James is a nice little wild card that, you know, a starter level guy that could be had at a discount if he's healthy and ready to play. But the Ravens get their offensive tackle project here in the fourth um, with that. This vaunted as we kind of go through this fourth round, fourth round of the draft, um, they get their big, they get their big developmental tackle, which come a guy which comes with again massive upside. I mean, this is this is four players that it's hard not to say Eric DaCosta took a shot, you know, for the fences with every single one of them. That if they were to pan out to their maximum potential, any one of these guys going to be a pro bowl level player or better um and falale definitely falls into that bunch yeah I, i'm i'm a little bit more hesitant about falale or is that how you pronounce it falale um he's i think he's a developmental tackle i think he needs to probably work on a few things you know he had some issues in college with like speed rushers on the edge He's very big, obviously. I think we all know that. He's, you know, pushing 400 pounds. I'd like to see him play closer to, like, 360, 370 than, than where he is now. I think if he can get a little bit more nimble, a little bit lighter, that's probably going to serve him well. Um, I think, you know, being in an NFL environment is going to be good for him. And I think the one thing that he really can improve about is just the – and this is sounds lame, but he needs to be a little nastier. He needs to play a little bit more violently. I think he, you know, he does his job when he's on the field, when he gets his hands on you, but he doesn't really finish blocks the way you'd like to see someone who's 400 pounds, like finishing blocks. You'd like to see him just like taking guys into the ground. Um, that's my concern with him, that he plays a little bit soft um, and that he, he's not quite, he doesn't quite have that like ability to handle speed off the edge. Um, I do think the upside is phenomenal like he can be like i mean he might be the next orlando brown like he has that potential or um you know the guy that the, the eagles you know signed to sign to extension mylata who was also someone who had very limited nfl player experience or, or football experience i should say he played rugby but he has this massive size you know physicality athleticism combo that um is, is important for the position um so I think, you know, it's, it's a good pick at that spot. You know, the, the Ravens definitely needed a future right tackle. I think there's a potential for him to be a very good one. I do think he needs some time to get there. And the Ravens are in a good position to allow him to develop. So I think for all that said, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I think that, I mean, and given who was on the board here, the Ravens, you know, a lot of the tackles were off the board. So it allowed them to wait a little bit to take a guy that they thought might be a good project. But you know, a lot of the knocks on Palale are not all that different than the knocks you heard on Orlando Brown. And and other than Palale being much like Palale is just a bigger like, and it's weird to say this because Orlando Brown was also six eight, so they're just both massive, massive human beings. I mean, he's also just a bigger guy. I mean, his hands I think are like two two and a quarter inches bigger than Orlando Brown's. Like, even though he's not significantly taller, he's just a bigger guy than him. Um, I think that does add some ability to say he's not going to be as quick and it is going to slow him down. He's going to have to figure out how to, how to get through that and how to handle that. But you know what? The best answer to that is Lamar Jackson. <laughs> and you know what? If he's going to be a guy that lets people beat him up the field, he can just push them up the field. And Lamar is going to take advantage of that. Um, and so being a right tackle in front of Lamar Jackson um, makes it a lot easier. And so if he is pushed into some kind of duty as it's required or as he develops into this, he, he's in the right place to be his type of guy um, for this type of team. And so I, I like the pick a lot because of that regard. Yeah, I think my my only concern is I still don't know who is the backup left tackle. I guess it's Morgan Moses. He probably has the most experience playing left tackle on the current roster. Um, I don't, Falale has not played any left tackle ever in college. He played right tackle only. Uh, I think James is also basically right tackle only. 
Um, you know, Makari plays some left tackle in college, but it's probably not ideal to have him play left tackle. He's a little undersized for that. So I think it would be Moses. And then you have, you know, next man up at right tackle, whether that's James or Makari or Falale, whoever is, you know, probably the most ready. I would, I would probably go with James if he's, you know, back from being um, from his injury. I think he could be a starter potentially for this team if, if they needed him to be. So I think the Ravens have depth there. Um, they don't have a lot of guys with left tackle experience. So that's my, you know, my concern, but I don't think they're going to be adding anybody at this point. Yeah. And I don't know there's anybody that they could add. I think Moses is Moses is going to be the guy if they need him to be. And so knock on wood, Ronnie Stanley is back. I mean, that he's the, he's probably to me, the biggest X factor Mm -hmm. for this entire season. If he comes back and plays like he played a couple of years ago, this team's just going to be, they're so much better with him. Um, and it's going to be so much harder to beat them. So, um, With the next pick, the Ravens took a position that I think a lot of us are also concerned about. Um, And this is the first of their double dips in the fourth round. Um, And so we saw them take Jalen Armour Davis. Um, And so this is, you know, this is another interesting pick, I thought, for the Ravens, because this is a guy that really kind of traits heavy coming off of an injury, doesn't have a lot of film, like flashed at times when he had it. But, you know, there's a question of like, is he going to be able to stay on the field? and turn, you know, what they saw from him potentially into an opportunity where he could actually play. Yeah, I, I was actually really high on Jalen Armour Davis. I was um, I was doing a lot of mock drafts prior to the draft. I had him as the guy that the Ravens would be targeting in the fourth round. Um, I thought he was going to be there because of those very reasons you mentioned. He had some injury history, really only a one-year starter at Alabama, but because of those traits that you spoke of, you know, he's a sub-440 guy, he's six-foot, um, he's got good length. Um, I think he does, you know, have good coverage skills. Um, he's, he's not like the perfect kind of player, or I think he would have gone a lot, a lot higher. But um, the upside is extremely high with him. And I think, you know, he really, I mean, I don't want to compare him to Anthony Averett, although it's an obvious comparison to make, you know, like I think they were both fourth round picks, both out of Alabama, both kind of raw players, um, good speed, athleticism combination. Um, and I think in terms of what their role is going to be, it's going to be similar. You know, he's going to be the third or fourth cornerback on the team. Um, he'll, he might be pressing to duty this year. I think there's probably a good chance that that will happen. Um, we'll, we'll see how that um, third cornerback position shakes out because it, are they going to put, plug someone in at the slot? Because I don't think that's Jalen Arm Davis. And, or are they going to put Davis on the outside and put Humphrey into the slot? Um, there'll be some decisions and things that will shake out there. It's going to be interesting to watch. But I think that, you know, at the very least, you got somebody who you can bring in and develop and potentially have someone who, by the end of like year two, three, as is starter caliber. And I think that's exactly what the Ravens need. Yeah, and I think he's got upside that if they need him to come in in a pinch that he's going to be able to. And I see him as the fourth corner. I mean, he's he is the fourth corner to start. I mean, he, he's not going to leapfrog Brandon Stevens. Um, so barring kind of any health issues from Marcus Peters or um, Marlon Humphrey to start the year, I mean, it's not like they're pressing him in immediately. But I do think that he played well enough, you know, at a high college level that he was a guy that, you know, if called upon, you're not getting, you know, you're not getting... I'm trying to think of the guy's name. We were talking about this when we were at the draft. Um, oh my gosh. And now I'm forgetting his name again. It's the guy that got abused by Tom Brady in the Patriots game over and over and over and then got the contract with the Colts. Um, Rashad Melvin, Melvin is his name? Rashad yeah. Melvin. Yeah. Rashad Melvin. Like he's not going to, yeah. it's not going to be that level of guy where he was, doesn't have the pedigree, doesn't have the experience. When he comes in, he's just going to be completely yeah. exposed. I think you get a little more than that from your fourth corner. And quite frankly, I'm pretty happy with that overall. For the yeah, and, and what you said about Brandon Stevens is interesting because, you know, he he's another player who didn't really have a lot of experience in college playing corner. You know, he, he was initially a running back when he was recruited, um, then changed schools, changed position. Um, the Ravens saw him as potential safety, um, and that's where he played predominantly last year um, when the Ravens, you know, lost safeties and they needed help there. So... We'll see if he goes back to playing that position. Is he going to be the Ravens' starting slot guy? I mean, that's that's potential there. I'm, I'm we didn't really see too much of that last year. There was a little bit. Um, he does have versatility in the secondary, so um, I, I do think that you know there is an opportunity for you know for Brandon Stevens to be that third corner. Um, but I think it's going to be an interesting decision because there's a couple other guys on the roster who might also you know make a play for being that first guy who comes and plays in the slot. 
Sorry, when I said third corner, I, I meant specifically third corner or, or fourth corner on the outside. I don't see Brandon Stevens playing much in okay. the slot. I don't think he's that high twitch guy. I don't think he's I don't think it's a fit there. I think the Ravens ask too much processing from that position from what we saw last year. Brandon Stevens is not very good at that. I think he's going to be better on the outside. I don't think he's a good blitzer. I think he's just unless the system changes significantly under McDonald, I don't think that um I don't think that Stevens is going to be a good fit for that. That being said, I think that our Darius Washington is a perfect fit mm-hmm. for that in a lot of other ways. And and he will take that spot. So I guess if you want to call that the third corner, yeah. then that makes that makes Armour Davis the fifth corner. Um, and I think that's that's an okay thing for me overall. Um, I think that's good for the Ravens, and this is the exact kind of depth pick that they needed a corner. Yeah, because I, I do really envision um, Armour Davis more as like an outside corner only, and 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 maybe that's uh, Brandon Stevens too. So maybe he is like that kind of you know what whatever Jimmy Smith was last year, kind of that fourth guy as, as on the outside in terms of your depth chart, um, and that, that's probably a good place to be for for a rookie cornerback. And I agree with you. I really liked Ardarius Washington in the slot. I think he has you know that feistiness. He's undersized, but he you know he doesn't play undersized. He plays bigger than he is, and I think he was really sticky when we saw him play there in the preseason. I think that those traits will will actually transition well. So I think he's he might have the you know, the advantage going in, but we'll have to see, you know, he's also coming back from injury. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how this, this uh, cornerback depth chart, you know, shakes out um, because there's also a couple of uh, veterans, uh, Dorsey, I think Seymour, um, you know, guys who might just be good enough to stick around. Um, so we'll see how that goes. It's going to be interesting. Well, and I think that they let Westry go because they like the guys that they have. I mean, I don't think that they keep, I don't think they keep, I think they keep Westry if they didn't trust Stevens to be an outside guy. Um, so it'll, I, it's a good, it's a solid group that I was much, we were much more worried about the day Anthony Averitt was signed away. Um, I'm feeling better about where they are overall. So um, let's keep rolling through these guys because we've got a lot more picks to cover <laughs> and not a lot of time now. Um, so the next guy is like a very similar guy to Mark Andrews. You know, Charlie Kohler is a guy that a lot of people had mocked for the Ravens as well. I think he is a good fit. I think, you know, I don't think that he's as good, at least from what I saw, of a route runner as Mark Andrews is. Um, but he brings the same kind of sense in terms of kind of how he reads the zones. He's a, a good, he's good with his hands, not a lot of drops. Um, and I think he's just, I think he's the exact kind of fit that the Ravens, the Ravens needed another tight end to do what Hayden Hurst was doing. And I think Charlie Kohler could be that guy precisely this upcoming year. Yeah, I, I wasn't as high on Kohler because I saw him as more of a receiver only um he he didn't impress me with his blocking um and that was a little bit concerning although i think he, he might be able to develop into that he has a frame where it looks like he can add some some weight i think you know one of the interesting things about him and what what i didn't realize in in the analysis or the, or the process leading up to the draft was you know he's like an academic all-american like he's a really smart guy i think mechanical engineer both of his parents are professors so like he comes from like you know an environment of like very like quick like analytical like processing like lots of like um you know just you know being able to like see the field and like understand leverage i think that's one of the things you see when you watch him is like understanding what defenders looking at and being able to kind of like almost outsmart them on the field and be able to use his body Uh, i think like you said i think he boxes out well i think he'll be a red zone threat um so I i think he will definitely have a role in this team um he needs to get better as a there weren't a lot of there weren't a lot of people that thought Mark Andrews was going to be a good blocker when he came yeah. out of college either. Uh, and he just didn't play. I, I mean, some of that is just virtue of how the college game has changed. Like these guys aren't situationally coached up to or asked to block a lot. So they're put in when they are, they're put in a pretty bad position uh, because it's situational. So I'm willing to give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. He's a big guy, right? Six six, two fifty plus. Um, so, you know, like you said, the, the bones are potentially there to be a good blocker. So, um, I think he's a good fit, though. And like, look, Hayden Hurst wasn't a, like wasn't known as a great blocker when he came in either. So I think that some of that is something that you can work with, and hopefully, hopefully, there's something there um, for for kind of where the Ravens develop. But I think tight end was an area where the Ravens really needed to figure out what was going on because these last couple of years, once Boyle went down, there was just no meaningful depth behind him at tight end. Yeah, I think that's really important just to have one some semblance of Mark Andrews insurance because he's such an integral part of this offense, having somebody who is, you know, a legitimate pass catching threat um, at tight end to back him up, I think is incredibly important. 
Um, so that's going to pay dividends. I mean, I hope it doesn't pay dividends by you know, Mark Andrews not being able to be on the field, but you know, just having that ability to at least maybe replace that that value that Andrews brings if for some reason he wasn't out there, um, that's important. Um, and then you know, I think it's also an eye to the future. Like Nick Boyle isn't going to be on the Ravens forever. I think you know his play has declined the past couple of years due to injuries. Unfortunately, if, if Collar can you know add on maybe ten more pounds and become a more of a two two threat, like two way um, tight end. He can be a, a good pass catcher and a good blocker that can bring really good value, especially if you pair him with Andrews. And I think the other selection that we're going to talk about very shortly. It's, it's very likely. Um, <laughs> so with the next pick for the Ravens, let's just talk about my favorite pick in the draft because it's got a fantastic name. <laughs> um, Jordan Stout, the punter. I mean, I, I like this pick for the Ravens. If, if he's a punter that you like, this allows you to save $2 million on the cap. Um, Sam Cook has been rumored to be ready to retire for quite some time. Um, hopefully, you know, he still comes into camp and they, they work together or the Ravens figure out some way to work that out. But all around, you know, I like it. I can understand why some people would be frustrated about where the value is in the fourth round. This is super Ravens. This is what the, I think this is the second or third punter the Ravens have drafted in the fourth round because they drafted Zastadil in the fourth round and they drafted, was it cook or somebody else? I think cook was a fifth round. I, I think. Okay. So, but the Ravens have been known to draft hunters in this round, this range of the draft. I think it's important to have a guy that can pin and it is a good punter. Um, you know, you can argue with the value though here. I think that that would be the one big knock on it. Yeah. I, I like the player a lot. Um, I, I, I agree with the Ravens assessment that he was the best punter in this draft class. If you just look at, you know, the an- analytics and, you know, his ability to, land punts inside the 20 to land punts inside the 10 and to not get touchbacks. Um, and, and really to get like that net, you know, average, I think it was like 47 or something crazy good, um, by far the best in this class. So I think it's a great player. I do quibble a little bit with taking him here when you have a player that you really like, because the Ravens talked about Calvin Austin, the wide receiver out of Memphis who they really liked and, they gambled and let him go to Pittsburgh. Um, you could have taken him at this spot and and waited and gotten the punter later on in the fourth round. You still had two more fourth round picks. I th- think that's something that you could have done. I, I'm with that like analysis and I get why people are upset that the Ravens didn't get Austin, but like in what world does it make any freaking sense for the Pittsburgh Steelers to have drafted two wide receivers? It, like it, They've already got Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool on their roster. They took Pickens. They they claimed Boykin off the Ravens. Like it, I mean, if you are into like any kind of game theory, like it was pretty darn surprising that the Steelers double dipped at the probably one of the deepest positions they have on their entire roster um, going into this draft. So I, I mean, I think that's a good thing for the Ravens because it doesn't make any sense in terms of value to me for Pittsburgh unless they really just wanted to block him from getting to the Ravens. Um, but I think that that's a worthwhile, I think that's a worthwhile risk for them to take. And how much value do you really, ex- I think the Ravens will extract more value from stout than the Steelers will likely ultimately get from Austin. I, I don't disagree with that necessarily. I mean, you never know. I mean, I mean, Austin has that profile where it's pretty hard for a guy, his size to actually, you know, make it in the NFL. He's not, he's under five foot eight, but he's pretty thick. He's like 175. I think like he has, you know, a pretty, impressive athletic profile. Um, if you just look at his testing numbers that were kind of off the charts in terms of what he could do, um, short area quickness. Um, and then if you, if you watch him, he actually like, he played outside receiver in Memphis and he had some of those kind of gadgety plays too, but like he was actually a good threat um, downfield, even though he's, you know, undersized, but he was, he was a good route runner. He was competitive at the catch point. Cool. Like that's a good player that I think you missed on. When is he going to get snaps, though? Like, like it, it, to me, it's not an issue of like him whether or not he's a good player. He is going to be behind Claypool, Johnson. I don't and care Pickett. about him on the Steelers. I care about him what he could be on the Ravens. Right, but I'm what I'm saying is he, the Ravens will extract more value from Jordan Stout being a Raven than the Steelers will extract from Austin. That's being fine. A but the Ravens could have potentially had both players. That's what I'm saying. You could have had I Stout mean, and, and Austin. I mean, I, I don't know that the Ravens were going to extract a lot of value out of a fourth round wide receiver pick anyway. I, 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 at the end of the day, I think this is a guy that 
It's going to save you $2 million on the cap. It guaranteed to save you $2 million on the cap when they cut Cook, right? It's a one-for-one trade-off in terms of the roster. And it's a position where, I mean, like, like, let's be like, if James Prochet can't get on the field, I can't, I just don't see a world of which a fourth round, like, I, I understand the fuss over this and why people are upset about it. But like, I just don't think Austin was going to get on the field this year. Um, and I think it was a really low likelihood that he was going to be any kind of like long-term high impact. There, there's just like this dream amongst Ravens fans that any wide receiver in any position at any time, if drafted by the Ravens is going to become this amazing wide receiver, even though they've had all these other wide receivers that none of which became that either. Like the Ravens liking a guy doesn't mean that he's going to be a good wide receiver at yeah, all. I, I mean, I think, that, you know, the chances of him, you know, being a, a very successful, like good wide receiver slim, just based off of the size alone. Like you don't have players at that size to, that really exceed at the wide receiver position at, at honestly at any position in the NFL. Um, so I, I think, you know, you're probably right, but just, I, I think there's an opportunity missed there and I'm going to quibble a little bit with, with the approach that was taken, but in the end, you know, I, th- I think, you know, the Ravens came away with the punter. I like the punter. I think he's going to be a good player. Like you said, he's going to save money on the cap because cook is going to retire most likely. Um, and then, you know, you still have a couple other picks that you made in the, in the, in, in the draft. So hopefully those players pan out, you know, not everybody's going to pan out, but you know, hopefully you get some value out of every single person that you picked up in this fourth round, you know, six, six draft picks in the fourth round is pretty crazy, but I think there's something that you can get out of all of them. So I'm glad that they were able to make all those picks. Well, and I, and so going to the next guy, I liked likely as a better pick than Austin. So for all the fuss there was over Austin, and I guess this is why I kind of get a little riled up about it. I don't understand. I don't really understand the fuss because Isaiah likely is a much better fit for what the Ravens need from a receiver in terms of size perspective. Yes. He didn't bring it as an elite blocker, in terms of like what he was doing in college. But again, there's, he's a huge dude, another six, six, like almost two fifty guys that the Ravens are bringing in and incredibly twitchy, incredibly athletic, right? Like, like almost kind of like in terms of physicality brings the exact kind of profile of what you might like. And yes, he's not a wide receiver, but in a lot of ways, the Ravens, I think are going to use him like an X or in the slot or, you know, as that extra guy, um, you know, from a wide receiver perspective, and I'd rather have the big guy. I was a big fan of Alec Pierce for the same reason. I'd rather have the big guy than the little guy in that situation. Yeah, I mean, I think likely is a good pick. So I'm, I'm not going to hate on that pick. Um, I I liked what he was as a prospect. I actually had him rated higher than Kolar on my personal board. Um, I thought he was a better, you know, just more athletic kind of route runner, more natural route runner. Um, you could get separation in his routes. You know, he has more explosiveness to him. I think I saw a stat, like he had like five plus 50 yard receptions or something like that. Um, you know, he played for like a smaller school, more like, you know, open offense, but he was basically a big slot receiver for them. He, he basically played like the Mark Andrews role on their team where he was like one of their main receiving threats playing in the slot. Um, I think, you know, you have another guy you can move around uh, potentially. Um, you, you, you talked about Kohler in, in that Hurst role before, but I, I think likely can do that as well. You can, you know, line him up as H back. You can put him in the slot. Um, we can see some of these three tight end looks that we, we've seen from the Ravens in the past when they, when they've wanted to do that. Um, so it's an interesting pick. I think, you know, the tight end that room that has been kind of a question mark in the past suddenly becomes a strength on this team. Um, and not, not, I mean, Andrews has always been a strength, but the depth behind him has been questionable, especially last year. Um, and when they lost Boyle to injury, it was, it was kind of like this rotating cast of guys who were like, you know, back into the roster. Now I think you have, you know, several players who can come in and, and be impactful, not just um, hopefully as, as some sort of like a run blocker, but also as pass catching threats. And that's, what's really exciting about it because you can get these guys in the field, bigger bodies who can also really catch the ball. And I think that's something that the Ravens have needed, whether it's at wide receiver or it's at tight end. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I, I'm glad to see them bring in some athleticism, you know, into some of these spots. So um, so with this last pick in the fourth round, the Ravens decide finally to go double dip on court. I shouldn't say finally double dip on corner um, and go after specifically a spot, a, a slot corner type guy. And a lot of folks, you know, I don't know a lot of Demar- about Demarion Williams, but it seemed like from everything that I've been reading that the athletic profile fits exactly that very, they very Tavon young ish in terms of what they went after here. And I think that's exactly the kind of guy you want to bring in. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie. He wasn't high on my list. I think, um, I 
didn't really watch him. I, you know, he was probably the second best corner on his team, which is, you know, that's okay. Like he, he, there was another guy who was a little undersized on his, on, on Houston, who was good. Um, but, you know, Williams, you know, he has, like you said, he's a profile. I think he can play in the slot. He can play outside if you want him to. From what I've seen, you know, he looks like he has good instincts. You know, he has some ball skills. He's willing to get um, mixed up in the run game. He's he's aggressive moving downhill. So I think these are all things that translate well to the slot cornerback position in NFL. He has that quick twitch about him. You like to see that. So I think he can come in and compete. You know, we talked about Darius Washington earlier. Um, and so he might be a guy who's who's really in that mix to be the, you know, the starter at the slot cornerback, so to speak. Um, so, you know, he seems like an intelligent player. He's well-spoken. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to seeing what he can do. So, you know, last pick of the fourth round, um, I wanted to see the Ravens double tip a corner. I'm glad they did. They needed the depth there. So I, I think that, you know, this is, this is definitely one of those selections that is going to pan out for them. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to argue with kind of this type of guy that, you know, you bring in with a fourth, this spot, it, this was to me very clearly almost nearly a need yeah. pick, right? They were like, we're, we need somebody that's going to come in fill out our corner room, be a guy that could develop in that regard. Um, they like this guy. And then I think the pick after that with um, Tyler Beatty is the same way. You know, I, I think that we need insurance in terms of what's going to be happening in the long term with Gus Edwards, what we want to be going with this offense. We had two guys that were hurt last year. We were absolutely burned by having to rely on veterans with almost zero athleticism at all whatsoever going into last year. So we take a guy that's been really productive in college and is a guy that, you know, could fit right in in terms of the system and, and what the Ravens are doing. Yeah, I like Beatty a lot. Um, he was someone that I thought, you know, the Ravens could pick as early as the fourth round. Um, you know, he has that, that nice pedigree, um, very productive in college a little undersized, but he, you know, he runs hard. Um, I, th I think he's probably projected more to be like a third down role in the NFL based off of that. He, he does have a nice pair of hands on him and, you know, the Ravens probably haven't utilized the running back in the passing game as much as we liked. This is something we always wanted justice Hill to do, but it never seemed to really work out for him. Um, he's probably not going to make it on this roster. Um, justice Hill, I mean, but I think, I think Beatty is someone who can be um, a very viable option for the Ravens right away, basically. And I think they needed somebody to be, you know, maybe not just a third down back, just someone who can come in and really carry the rock if they need to with the guys coming back off of injury. We don't know with, with you know, two players coming back from an ACL. It's, it's, it's really hard to know exactly how they're going to perform, um, what their what their fitness level is, what their health level is. Um, I think getting a running back in this draft was critical, and, and I think they made a good pick. And for the value in the sixth round, I think it was fantastic. Yeah, I, I totally agree, and they needed it. And, you know, I think there's a decent chance that, that Justice Hill is either gone, or he could also start the year out on the pup so if the Ravens want to kind of keep him as an insurance policy as they head into the year. So he's an extra guy. Um, when they get when they get into later into the season, you keep him fresh, you keep him protected, um, you don't let him get hurt. So um, you know, a lot of upside between you know, and we we don't even have time to get into the undrafted guys here. Um, but a lot of upside for this draft. A lot of you know what's really what you know, and we can both kind of give our closing thoughts of the, about the draft in in general here. You know, what I thought was interesting is that the Ravens were not picking based on need exclusively. They definitely lean best player available but by the time the entirety of the draft shook out they still filled a lot of gaps and some of the whether you want to call them major or minor holes on this roster really do feel like they've been filled in yeah absolutely and i think you know you start the draft out when you have 11 picks you're taking best player available and then as as those best players start to fill out and you start to see how the roster shaping then with that all those fourth round picks that you accumulated you had the opportunity to start taking picks for need so maybe you know, going into the draft, you don't necessarily think you're going to take, you know, Demarion Williams in, in the fourth round, but he's your best cornerback available and you want to get two corners and it makes sense to take him there, even though, you know, maybe there's a couple other players higher than him. And that's fine. I think, you know, he's still a good pick there. Um, the same might be, even be true for the tight end position. They they said, okay, who's the best pass catcher who's available at this spot? It wasn't a wide receiver, it was a tight end. So you take likely. Um, I, I think that might have been what, what the processing was there, and I think it makes sense. And, you know, overall, you know, with both the intersection of value and need that they kind of hit on in a lot of places, 
you know, I think it was a very successful draft class. You know, we wanted to see that happen with all the picks that the Ravens had going into it. And I think they really did a good job of meeting those expectations, um, coming away with a roster that I think really on paper looks pretty solid. Um, there's still a couple of question marks. You know, we talked about the outside linebacker position. Um, if you can bring back Justin Houston, that helps a lot. Um, and then maybe the two other question marks would be left guard. I think that's still kind of a rotation of players. We don't know who's going to stick there as a starter. Um, Cleveland, Phillips, Powers, one of those guys needs to step up and take that spot. Um, and then I think outside, um, I'm sorry, wide receiver, that, that's the biggest question mark, right? Like you have one guy who's like definitely a go-to receiver in Rashad Bateman. Outside of that, it's a kind of a bunch of like number three guys. Um, who's going to step up into that number two? Are you going to sign a free agent? I think there's guys available. Um, that's really the, the question marks that I have left over. Yeah, to me, this is the great look. I, I And for anybody that listens to us regularly or follows me on social media, you know that I'm not a big Greg Roman fan. Um, I think that there were there are challenges to a lot of what his, his approach has been and how that's executed. This is this is greg roman's draft right like this is like you bring in an athletic center that can actually screen and pull and do all those do all the kind of crazy things that he likes to do in that regard get to the second level right like you bring in extra tight ends instead of wide receivers so like you are going to stay tight you're going to stay heavy you're going to stay big in this process right like get to get into that classroom start drawing up the x's and o's and do your thing, Greg Roman, because this is your chance to prove all of us wrong that have said that you can't do it, that isn't it sustainable, that we can't bring back what they did in 2019. Um, this is the personnel to do it with. They're going to be heavy. They're going to be big. Let's see it happen. Yeah, I think the offense, um, and you see, you see Lamar Jackson's a winner. I completely agree with that. I think they built back the offensive line. There's a lot less questions. Even um, the depth, I think, is better. There, there's not really one position where you, you'd have somebody that's, completely like has to be out there like we talked about stanley like obviously that's probably the most important position on the offensive line um but i think there's enough guys there that you can actually get by for, for some reason he had to miss some time so I'm, i feel much better about that than i have in the past few years where there's been questionable depth um and that's really going to make lamar jackson into you know the, the player that we've seen him at mvp caliber because he's so much better when he has time to kind of sit in the pocket and analyze um, he's still going to be a threat with his legs if he wants to be, but even, you know, a mediocre receiving core can get open if he has three or four minutes of so what he can do, maneuvering the pocket, um, different arm angles he can throw with, you know, he can throw receivers open and that's something, and he can move receivers open with the way he moves with his legs. So like, I think having good protection is going to really elevate this offense to what we haven't seen for the past couple of years. So I'm excited about that. No, me too. I think it's going to be a super exciting year. Um, really excited to see what happens at training camp and some of these battles with some of these positions. The depth chart is going to be really interesting. I think we'll be getting back on here um, on this podcast once we kind of get into training camp and some of these battles become a little bit more clear and some of the defining of these depth charts become a little bit more clear about what those positions look like. So we're excited to talk about it. Um, thanks for tuning into the Situation Room and uh, we'll see you guys next time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.